You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is season two, episode two. If you don't already do so, please make sure you follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Lots of additional things that you can see on those social media sites. Today, we're going to be talking about the officer's spouse. We are talking to Emily, the wife of retired officer Dirk, about the challenges and rewards of being married to a spouse in the field of law enforcement. Emily, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Mark? I'm good. Congratulations on successfully navigating a career with a husband in law enforcement. Thank you. Ragged, but we made it through. (laughs) People always talk about the stressors of having somebody in law enforcement because you have a high rate of alcoholism. Of course, it's not a very easy job. You're carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders. Some of the things that you witness as a law enforcement officer takes a toll on any person. I don't care how strong you are. And one of the biggest issues, of course, with law enforcement is the rate of divorce. You were right there. You were with Dirk the whole time that he was in his career. And I know that had to take a certain toll on you. And I know it's a it's a thing that we always talk about is the divorce rate among law enforcement. So you tell me, what was it like? The most important person in your life, your husband, your partner, your best friend. And I'm sure that there was a lot of challenging moments when he comes home from that job. And, you know, you go face to face and there's probably many nights where you didn't know whether you were going to get that phone call that everybody is worried about getting. Right. So as officers, everybody, you're trained to be a very dominant person. You're trained in your work environment, fight or flight, risk, fail. So when he came home, it was like a bull coming into a china shop. It was just all of this dominant energy coming into the space where I was. And, you know, like you said, divorce rates, 13 to 75% with law Mm. enforcement. So it's super high. And his job came first, his partner came second, and I came third. I can see where a lot of people would not put up with that. There's no way that they have to be the priority. Like the number one thing should be your spouse. The second thing being your children. That's a lot to deal with. And even as you say that, I process that I've never been married, so I can't relate to that. But that's a lot just by that statement. It is a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations that have to be had. You have to be very strong yourself. And, you know, before we got married, I told him, I'm like, I get it that you need to be an asshole. But as long as you're not an asshole to me, we can get through this. We can do it. It's rough. And the stress of the job 
it's not like you can shut it off. You find like humor, you find different things, but the stress of the job, fight or flight, it, you know, it's not a switch. So it does come home with them. Well, you were married to Dirk. And again, I might know a lot of the answer to these questions, but our audience that's listening does not know. So if I ask you certain questions, understand it's just so what we can get a full understanding of where you guys are at or talking about the background between you and Dirk. When you guys first met, he wasn't working in law enforcement, correct? He was actually corrections when we first met. He was, okay. Yeah, he just started corrections. So do you think that it's easier? Because one of the things that I've read a lot is when a couple meets and then the husband gets into law enforcement, that causes a lot more of the challenge because you're used to a personality and then he starts going through the academy, he or she goes to the academy and then they take on that persona again that you're talking about, that dominant, you have to take charge personality. Do you think that it maybe was easier because he was already in the field? He already had that personality type? You know, I don't think it was easier for me, but it was probably easier for him because I was fresh coming into the relationship so I could communicate in a different way to make him stop and realize what was happening and what couldn't happen to have this marriage succeed because he had been married before. And so coming in while he was already in the job, I was able to have a fresh look and a new perspective almost of what was acceptable and what wasn't. Did you have any type of hesitation knowing his career? Clearly, I've known you for a long time. I've known Dirk for a long time. You're very articulate, you're very intelligent. Was there any type of hesitation? Like, I don't know if I should do this. I know a lot of these marriages don't work out because of the things that happen in law enforcement and what a person is exposed to in that field. Thank you, first of all. That's really sweet of you to say. But, you know, I didn't have the hesitation about law enforcement and marrying into law enforcement, the humanitarians. What he had to prove to me, though, when we first started talking is that he wasn't actually an inmate. So that was the goal. I had to make sure that he was actually, you know, on the enforcement side, not the incarcerated side. Fair enough. Fair enough. That was my hesitation there. I see. I see. You start dating and you understand his personality. You understand his career choice and you see this strong, dominant personality. At any time where you had to pull back the reins on this personality? You know, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes I figured when it comes, it. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to our children, I definitely uh, had to pull back the reins. We had a lot of I need to talk to you in the bedroom for a minute or, you know, (laughs) things like that. So as far as parenting goes, yeah. Other than that, we kind of have a look. And in fact, this is one thing about being a police wife that my other sisters out there will understand is when you're in public with your husband and he's in, he or she, I guess, is in law enforcement, they can give you a certain look and you know to take the kids and walk away and pretend like you don't even know them. It's just for a protection purpose. So he and I, we have looks where I know where I need to walk away or I, he knows that we need to talk because, you know, shit's not cool. <laughs> and I've heard that time and time again where people that are married have a plan in place. So if you're out in a situation 
and something doesn't feel right, or if your husband knows somebody that's there in the restaurant or there at Walmart or whatever the case may be, and knows that this person might pick up on where they know your husband, has there been any type of situations that you can describe or that you remember that that actually took place? Yeah, you know. Where you got the look? Right, yes. Almost every time we went to Walmart, we started going to Walmart's little <laughs> farther <laughs> away. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, because I would get the look and the kids and I, I would scurry off in the other direction. And, you know, it still happens dependent on where the knowledge and the the knowing took place. Because there's been some positive ones, too. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely there at um, restaurants So one thing that you may notice with law enforcement is they like to sit in the position at the table where they can see the room and their back is towards a wall. A lot of times, and correct me if I'm wrong, they want to see the door, like the exit. Yeah. Yeah. Fight or flight. Still, Mm -hmm. even when you're out to dinner, getting to know neighbors is really difficult because it's, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can open up. I don't know, you know, your view on officers or law enforcement. And so it takes a lot to gain the trust, just as far as neighbors go. We've been here six years. We know two neighbors. Oh, wow. It's well understood in the law enforcement community. And it's sad because of what you're exposed to and the the lack of trust with people because you become very, very jaded. You have that dark sense of humor, but then you become very jaded and you do put up walls and it's hard to get through to a person. Sometimes it's law enforcement or ex-law enforcement because they have just witnessed so much that a normal person would not experience in their lifetime. Exactly. And it's those experiences that really do make up and layer the character which is both an amazing thing to have as a spouse to see, but it's also painful because you see the hurt in their eyes because they're in a humanitarian and a service field. Mm -hmm. So that means they want the best for people. They're empathetic, they care. And so everything weighs on them, no matter how big or small. They do have the shell. I will say there's mm-hmm. a, there's a pretty good shell of not getting worried or not letting like little things bother them, but you're still human mm-hmm. and it still makes you sad when stuff happens. It's most of the time when law enforcement's involved with the people in the community, it's not always the best situation. It's not always their best time in life. They're calling for help during the worst times in life. And that's when the officers step forward That's when, you know, that support is given that makes me as a spouse so honored to know that my husband was a person and is a person that in the worst times, they know he'll be there. And that goes for me, too. That's part of his character. And I do think that runs through the LEO family. Absolutely. People get into the career and God bless them. They're in there for the right reason. They want to make a difference. They want to change. They want to help people. And it's sad to see such wonderful people experience so much trauma. It's a lot to take on. I don't care who you are or how invincible you are. And law enforcement, even now, is still very much a machismo field. 
you don't show weakness. You don't cry. That shows vulnerability. We don't do that. I don't think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Emily, but that kind of contradicts what therapy and self-help would try to teach you is dealing and processing a lot of the things that we deal with in life and how to get through it and become a stronger person. And I've always said some of the most incredible people I've ever met are those people, the strongest personalities are the ones that are able to cry you know, right. and show their vulnerability. But you can't do that in law enforcement, or at least there's a perception you can't do that. There's mm -hmm. a time and place for sure. Going back to what you had said is you had said, even now you'll go into a restaurant or you'll be in Walmart and there's this kind of awareness of who's around you, or you sit with your back against the wall where you can see the front door or you can see at least an exit. Have things become a little more easier since he retired for you? You know, for our relationship, yes. For the LEO family, I think, it, you know, since he's retired, it's been, it's rough out there and humanizing the person behind the badge is so important to let people know that it's still a human behind the badge. It's not just a uniform, mm -hmm. but um, for our relationship, it has gotten better just because the frustration of doing the best you can, but it not being enough. That was the hardest part as a spouse watching him go through is he did so much and tried so hard, dotted the I's, crossed the T's, but it still wasn't enough for the system. <laughs> you know, and if Dirk were here, you know, he would be able to probably acknowledge what I'm going to say because we've had this conversation is when you work in the system long enough, the administration does not give a shit. They're just a political animal. And they're worried about keeping the public satisfied and the government satisfied, whether it be the governor, the mayor, whoever, or municipality that you work in. And it becomes less about the individuals and the needs and we'll do anything for our officers because the administration, you really see that they're political animals and a lot of them do not give a shit about the people that work for them. The and people that work, yeah, it is sad. The people who work for them, it seems, in my opinion, that they're just a piece of paper. And mm -hmm. even though mm -hmm. it may look great on that piece of paper, these are humans. And when he was with APMP, these guys would call him and he was up in the middle of the night talking to him, talking to the families. When he was retiring, one of my proudest moments was overhearing a phone call with one of his guys saying, God, dude, please don't retire. You're the only one who believes in me. It's just so sad that the safety of all sides are put in jeopardy by brass or by you know the government because of what looks good on paper. You're there in Utah and you've seen this new prison that they've built and the old prison in Draper, they're ripping it down and they had to build that prison and it was about building it fast. And now they're having all these issues, years and years and years of problems. And I blame the administration. Absolutely. I could argue this all day long until I'm dead, but they designed this new prison. They wanted built fast and they wanted to develop Draper. And they did this linear design and there's blind spots that are going to cover by cameras. And there's just this unreal amount of assaults on staff. 
They're going to dismiss it. They're going to say, well, we're always going to have challenges. It's a new facility. If you look at history, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, they have made decisions for years and they did not listen to the line staff. And I blame right. the, the previous administrators and the, the Utah government for the decisions that they made to get that thing built fast. And I feel really bad for the people that are working in that facility. It's horrible. And, yeah. you know, the mandatory overtime because of being understaffed, the governor sending out personal letters to retired corrections, <laughs> begging them to come back plus extra pay. But, you know, when you're treated like crap, when you're ignored and you really 100 percent know that they do not have your back in a life or death situation, there's no money worth that. There's no money worth going back into that situation. It's terrible. And it's just because it looks so good on paper. But in reality, these are human lives. These are both staff, but also people who are incarcerated. Everybody is at Jeopardy. What looks good on paper doesn't always work in real life. And listening to line staff and listening to people who work in the situation is the only way to correct a situation mm -hmm. with this new prison and they cannot get people to work there and they continue to throw money at people and they are raising the starting pay and they're trying to offer incentives and they're trying to go backtrack on all the different things that they took away from staff over the years now they're trying to give it back because they can't get anybody to work there if you were to run into a relative a friend or somebody that you knew that was married to somebody that was thinking about a career in law enforcement, whether it be a police officer on the streets or working in the prison, what advice would you give to the spouse of somebody that's going to get into that field now that you've lived this? I would definitely suggest that the person who's looking for the job research the situation they're going into, talk to other employees because there are some great areas to work in and there's some great departments. There are some really bad ones too. So I would definitely encourage them to research where they're gonna hire. I would tell the spouse to reach out for support. I joined the police wives because having my blue sisters there to talk and to, you know, oh my gosh, he just got called out, I'm worried. Or, you know, the phone calls, I got phone calls where, hey, I'm okay. Don't panic. I can't talk. Click. You wow. know, I couldn't call him back asking what the, don't tell me not to panic because now I'm panicking, but he knew I would find out. So he's telling me it's okay. I had my wives to go to and talk about this. And so reach out for support. Find those police wives, find the police husbands, find those blue lines, gray lines, find those societies and communities because they're enormous support. Is there any official organized group of the spouses of law enforcement officers that somebody that was looking for help and wanted to talk to, somebody that could relate to the situation that you were in, that they would be in, where you can look it up, where you can talk to spouses of law enforcement, somebody that can relate to what you're going through? There are, there's National Police Wives Foundations, Blue Line Family Foundations. There's also statewide foundations that you can find. There's Facebook groups, there's different things like that, that we get together and 
part of the police wives thing that we did in Utah and now it's national is when, you know, a lot of my dear friends lost their husband. They were the ones that had that call. And so the police wives joined together. We did ribbons. We tied, we made it a blanket or tried to make it a blanket for our sister and mm -hmm. the situation always, you know, you can't do, you feel like you can't do enough because it's just a lottery of who's going to get that call. There are support groups. There are a lot of spouses out there that understand the bull in the China shop, that understands the fight and flight, that understands the marital strife and really can talk to you and save a lot of marriages by just having someone who's in that position without having to explain that entire position. There are national and there are statewide foundations, a lot of 501c3s out there that join spouses of officers that are really, really beautiful. Well, that's awesome. In regards to the, the children, and you talked earlier about Dirk, and sometimes you have to have that, hey, let's have a conversation in the bedroom. People getting into law enforcement, there's already kids. What advice would you give to spouses and the kids that are going to have to go through this experience where all of a sudden, you know, mom and dad have a different personality because they're large and in charge. Now they're a police officer. What advice would you give to, I guess, let's start with the spouse, like as far as having to, to deal with that, because I know that, you know, when you get off shift as a law enforcement officer, again, prison, uh, APMP or the streets, you come home and you're pretty amped up. You may or may not have been in confrontations that day. It could be a speeder that says, fuck you. I know my rights. You might have had to bring somebody to jail that decided that they wanted to fight. It could have been a high-speed chase. It could be dead bodies. There's a million things that law enforcement have to deal with every day. So what would be the advice to a spouse dealing with the husband and dealing with the children and, and the changes that occur when somebody gets into the field? So I know a lot of uh, husbands, but also women, really struggle with the uh, being in the LEO field and then coming home and juggling LEO life and family life. So to the spouse, it is better. It can get better. Yes, it is the job because mm -hmm. we definitely marginalize our hyper empathetic. We, we, they come home and we sense they're upset. So we try and do more and then we burn out or, you know, we, we judge and fill in where they're not filling in for the kids. And then we burn out because as, as a spouse, you're trying to help your partner. You're seeing they're struggling here. You're struggling there. But the communication before that burnout is what has to take place of, you know what? I can't fill in a hundred percent for you. You have got to step up here and here and here. But if you don't understand that the job wears on them and the job impacts them, then you're going to think it's them. As, as we talk about this, it, again, I think that I'm getting a whole different perception of the issue that I kind of took for granted for the whole time that I was in the field. And I've had so many friends that have gone through divorces. And a lot of them, Emily, it's not just the first divorce, but they've tried it a second or third time and it just didn't work. Yeah. And they get back into to dating. Do you think, and again, this is something that I hear a lot too, 
do you think it works to the advantage of somebody that's a law enforcement to marry another law enforcement officer? So personally, my my opinion on that would be that would be hell on earth. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, if it works for them and they can find their peace, you know, I think it's really personalities more than a job. And uh -huh. if you can equal out the personality, be it LEO family or be it, you know, completely different, then that's what makes it work is the communication and listening to each other and trying to find the words, not blaming, but I feel this way, you know, taking on the responsibility of your own feelings. So personally, I, I mean, power to y'all if you're, you're both LEO, but I don't know if those dominant personalities would. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I was recently driving um, over near New Smyrna Beach and I was driving by this house and I look over and I'd driven by it before, and there's two police cars in the driveway, different departments. Now, they could be just roommates, but I'm just thinking, holy hell, are those two police officers that are actually together? You know, I wonder if that would work because it's like they can at least understand. But I know that, like, when cops get together, they like to exchange cop talk about yeah. everything with the department, about this happened and this happened. Oh, I went on this call. I went on this call. And then to actually bring it into where there's a relationship between two people. And <laughs> right. like you said, those alpha strong personalities, I would hate to be a fly on the wall when there's a disagreement and somebody isn't backing down. Right. The escalation. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually a big thing with LEOs is the domestic violence mm -hmm. and the heightened domestic violence. And it's not just physical domestic violence, but it's verbal and manipulative and things like that, that we don't look at because there's not the physical science. And so it's definitely important to understand as um, a spouse that you still have the respect for yourself. You still demand that you are respected, that the family is honored. As far as LEO, LEO, you know, and maybe because it is a humanitarian field, you're out there to serve others. So if you find that common ground, that's great. And if you can find a way to problem, be, you know, resolute in your problem solving, I think that's, that's awesome too. But dating and being with an LEO, I mean, y'all have a sick sense of humor. Because that's, <laughs> that's how you guys cope. And so that's something to know about. And so I guess, Elio, Elio, you got the same sense of humor. Man, oh, man, you guys have some stories. And you have to uh, laugh about everything to be able to cope with everything. I look back at the career and I remember guys and girls that would date each other at the prison. I'd heard the same thing from other people that worked for different police departments. And I heard this one particular situation where there was a, I won't name even what particular department, but I'm going to go back to when I went to the police academy in 1996. And there was a guy that I had gone to the police academy with that had gone to a local city police department. And he had worked with a guy that had worked at the prison at one point. And the guy had worked for that police department as well. And he had told me the story about that um, he started dating 
another officer's ex-wife on his desk, this guy that had worked for the prison at one point at, on his desk, he actually had pictures of this other officer's kids on his desk. Now that he was dating this other officer's ex-wife. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, family therapy, I guess. Um. <laughs> Boundaries. I would not do that. <laughs> To a coworker, I'd have more respect than to do that, even if you have a great, strong bond with your new girlfriend's children. I would not put those children's pictures on my desk to put in the face of this other officer. Yeah, that makes it really hard. And, you know, with the divorce rate, and honestly, mm -hmm. as LEOs, it's a lot of trauma bonding. And so I understand yes. how relationships can can actually happen that way because of that trauma bonding. And, you know, with that, I understand. But yet, yeah, the blatant, I mean, that's just kind of a flex that's not needed. Exactly. Right? It, it will, and again, <laughs> uh, uh, what we're talking about with like that alpha personality, when you have two police officers dating, <laughs> it can manifest in very weird ways. I was thinking that there would be a period when you first get into law enforcement, there's that period of adjustment, that the honeymoon period where you're adjusting to the personality of your spouse. In the long term, does it get any easier in the long term? Like, so for you, you had started dating Wilk and he was already in law enforcement. Did it get any easier over the long term or from your experience dating to other people that are married to law enforcement? Does it get easier in the long term or does it become more stressful because they've been in the field for a long time and it becomes more nerve wracking as they get closer to retirement that you might receive a call or things might go bad? It definitely doesn't get easier. I wish I could say out there, you know, that it would get easier. It gets harder. It is that call and it is, you know, waiting on the late nights and you really do hold your faith, not only in your spouse, but in their partner mm -hmm. to have their back and to, you know, when, when the, you kiss them goodbye, you're trusting their partner with their life and vice versa with the other spouse. And mm -hmm. so the partnerships are very important. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why the partner came second, because I was the romantic partner, but this is life or death partner. Having someone I knew I could trust with my husband's life was imperative. Wilkes' partner when he retired was just like amazing because at Dirk's um, retirement party, he didn't even mention anything about me. And so his partner actually was the one that stood up and he's like, well, Wilk's wife, this and this, because he, <laughs> he noticed that Wilk had like skipped over that. And I mean, that's, you know, part of the partnership is it's literally not romantic, but you're in each other's hands there. You know, you got your six. Uh, was there ever a time period? And this is probably a pretty intimate question. Was there ever a time period where you said, I can't do this anymore? You know, yes, it was right before his retirement. Ooh. There was a lot of deaths happening, a, lo a lot of um, officers falling, and the brass was so difficult and um, disparaging that 
I told him, you know, you either retire or we need to look in a different direction because this isn't working. And even now I wouldn't support him going back because of the brass. Now there are different positions and different places that I would be open to. But as far as the brass, I mean, literally at his retirement party in Draper, standing in a room, all of the brass are around him. I'm standing there saying, you know, doing the pleasantries. Hi, I'm his wife, you know, thanks, da, 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 da. And they're like, well, Will, thank you for all your service. Is there anything we can do for you now? And he looked straight in their eyes and he said, yeah, lose my number and don't ever fucking call me again. As a wife, I was mortified, but I understood it. But I was mortified because this is my first time meeting him. And I'm like, hi, but that's what he said. And that was the experience going out. It was so bad. I totally respect Dirk because he he didn't have a filter, but he's very honest. That came <laughs> from the heart. And I totally respect the fact that he didn't sit there and play the game of, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate. No, he was very honest. And I that's very cool. He always stepped up. In fact, I typically try to remind him to watch his mouth <laughs> because you know, he is very honest. Well, you <laughs> I, know, I, and the over the line <laughs> the thing is is i know that for a long time people you know i don't know that um i ever had a conversation about your husband with any other person unless we were like laughing or joking because he was very well liked but i know that he was very honest and there's the expression honest to a fault and dirk was very honest and he didn't care what you thought and i have a, so much respect for that because you run into so many bullshitters who just want to kiss ass to go up the chain of command. And right. that was never your husband. He was honest and he will tell you to your face. He didn't give a shit. And you don't see that personality type a lot anymore. People just naturally either cave or kiss ass or these other things. And your husband was amazing. He was a great guy. He was very honest. And I respect that. Maybe I'll disagree with him. But I totally respect that. And you get a lot further with somebody with that level of integrity. I appreciate hearing that. I really do. And yeah, there's a lot of times I disagree with him too. And there's certain <laughs> topics we don't discuss. But you know where he stands. Don't Absolutely. And unless you want an answer, you right. know, he's, he's not going to sugarcoat it. And that's one thing about him that I love too, because. Mm -hmm honesty is rare and you have a lot of brown nosers and you know getting up the chain of command or whatever but he is who he is and you're going to get that but he also will take the time to have a discussion he's not going to raise his voice and try to get you to cower he'll have a discussion and he'll totally project his perspective and why he's come to a certain point or why he thinks the, the way he does he's, oh god yeah he and he's going to listen yeah yeah he loves them I appreciate hearing that. Thank you, Mark. No, of course. I mean, anybody that knows Dirk who has met Dirk definitely knows he's a very honest person. And if you don't like the fact that he is honest, then the problem's with you. Like from the beginning, I'm like, you know, I get that you're an asshole. Just don't don't be an asshole to me. <laughs> Do you have any regrets now that he's out of law enforcement? I really don't have any regrets. Relief that he's... There is a lot of relief. 
there's a lot of relief. There's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of healing because after retirement with LEOs, you know, heart attacks are very common mm -hmm. because of the coming down off the constant adrenaline and fight and flight. So health is very important and, you know, making sure all of those avenues of health, um, mental health and physical health coming out of such a place mm -hmm. is very important. And understanding that as a family is, is good too. But, you know, I really don't have any regrets looking back on it. We always, always kissed goodbye because you just never know. I mean, with any, with anybody in life, you just never know. We always kissed goodbye. We left notes, you know, always said, I love you, all those little things. And I really don't. He's so supportive. I mean, no matter what my ridiculous idea is, like even coming down to adopting a pet pig, he's like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> super supportive so i really don't have regrets i just honestly am so proud of the type of elio he was because there's always bad apples in in a bunch but when the people he's serving they're calling and asking him to please not retire because he believes in them and he's helping them recover and create a successful life what is there to regret you've already made it very clear that there's no regrets would there be anything that you would have done differently being the spouse of somebody in law enforcement? Is there anything you would go back and tweak? I would totally look for the support sooner. So the police wives or police spouses, family, I would have looked for that sooner. So I had people that understood my position. So I didn't feel alone. So I would have definitely done that. I would have asserted myself looking back on it as the dominant figure at home. And I know that might have been controversial, but I think having a space where he could be dominant and a space where I could be dominant would have been a little more peaceful. Mm -hmm. Still have those conversations, but you know, this China shop belongs to me. So calm down. <laughs> I think. Those are probably, probably my biggest things. And just knowing that behind the badge, there's a human, there's a person, there's a father, a mother, you know, it's not just that uniform that is so targeted at times or so hated at times, but they're really, most of them are just the best people because they really do care. You know, that's one thing that I told him. I'm like, you know, as Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers because even in the worst times, there's the helpers. And honestly, being married to one of those helpers has been one of my biggest honors in life. Very, very well spoken. Very cool. I'm glad that I'm having this conversation with you tonight, Emily. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we got talked too. This is a good perspective, right? <laughs> it's a, No, it's an excellent perspective. And I think that it's one that people don't really think about is about the spouse that's at home that's waiting for that phone call. I know it ends, like we've already said, it ends in separation, divorce, alcoholism, so many other things related to law enforcement. From the perspective of a spouse, though, it's a lot of stress that you're dealing with, just not knowing. And then again, the personalities, the change in the mood swings, it's not normal. Most people do not end up getting in a high-speed chase, you know, arresting somebody that's high on drugs, getting punched in the face, getting exposed to, you know, fentanyl finding a dead body, um, having to body bag a child that's been run over, 
all the things that people experience, witness, see in law enforcement and how their mind is processing that. They're going home to the spouse. They're having to deal with this. There's so many different things that you look at. Do I tell my wife, I don't want to involve her with this. I am not dealing well with this. It will show weakness if I go see somebody, some type of therapist. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to feel weak. I want to be strong. This is, I'm the leader of the household. People are supposed to look up to me. I am the father of my children. I need to be there for them. I'm going to miss this basketball game, this, this concert. All the things that go through a person's head that works in the field of law enforcement that people will never understand unless they've walked in those shoes. And nobody understands better than the spouse. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times the officer doesn't even realize the change that's happening to them because it's so gradual. They'll come home and the spouse is all upset or hurt or feeling ignored or burnt out. And they're like, what's your problem? I haven't changed because it is a gradual change. It is a lifestyle. It is, you know, the constant adrenal fatigue from that fight or flight, you know, from the adrenaline all the time. It's really interesting because a lot of that is felt by the spouse. I specifically want to talk to the spouses of correctional officers mm -hmm. because, you know, getting that call as far as in the correction facilities isn't as high as a street officer. However, we still had Steven Anderson, you know, mm -hmm. on transportation that was, don't be a hero. Well, really? We still have a lot of officers inside the prison that you're just in general. You're in general population where, you know, you've got a couple guys here or there, but there is a lot of risk and the correctional spouses there is a lot of help out here and a lot of support, even with the on street cops, you know, the family, the gray family, the blue family, everybody has that support because it's still a position of respect and a position of, I need to dominate the situation. So as far as the correctional officers, we're not worried about getting those calls, they could happen, especially with how things are going in Utah now. Yeah. But, but it's definitely still the high stress, the adrenal, and that still comes home. The demographics of Utah is changing at such an accelerated rate. I was back in Utah for the first time in a while last August, and the population is just exploding there. And as I yeah. was driving along I-15 and out on the west side there in West Jordan, I could not believe the amount of people that are there just in the six years since I've left. And I still follow the news on KUTV and KSL, and I'm seeing all these things that are happening on a daily basis that used to be like a very rare big deal in Utah. Now it's very common. So as you talk about law enforcement and unfortunately the things that happen to law enforcement officers as the population grows as the demographics change of course whenever there's a higher population there's going to be a higher number of incidents just because it relates to the amount of growth so we're going to unfortunately be seeing these things happen more common in utah and as you had said with the prison we can yeah. point fingers all day long but there have been 
a lot more assaults at the new facility than there was at the old facility. There's an extreme amount of assaults going on, mm -hmm. which tells me it's not safe for the employees or those people who are there. Mm -hmm. It really needs to be looked at just because I can't say it till I'm blue in the face, just because it looks great on paper doesn't mean that it's going to translate into the safety and the well-being for all. It's an unfortunate situation and God bless the people that work at that facility. God bless all the LEOs. The world needs humanitarians. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there's always some bad apples in the bunch. And honestly, there's no one who hates them more than an, a good LEO. For the most part, this career and this line of work are for the true humanitarians who just want to help people in some of the worst times and worst situations they can. And, you know, they do. They do the best they can. And it's so hard. I know literally one week before Wilk was about to retire, he was in a situation where an offender was running. Everything went into slow motion for him, all of his training, everything. And he had the choice to jump in front and possibly be killed or seriously injured or let this guy get away. He did his best to stop him, but the guy did get away. A week later, Officer Shinners was killed by an offender. Wilk went into a complete, almost panic because he was blaming himself. Was it that offender that did this, that took the life of one of my brothers? He wasn't in the system. He didn't have anyone to call to get inside information, but he was racking his brain and he was so, his heart was so heavy thinking that he could have been the cause because he didn't give his life. Did this person take one of his brother's lives? And that was really hard right after his, it was right after his retirement when the mm -hmm. officer went down. That's some of the things that weigh on them. And I know that Wilk and, and you have had many friends that their only escape has been to turn to drugs, alcohol, or suicide. And the suicides that happen to your partners, these people that are family, some of them are horrifying. So not only are you dealing with the job and the public, but you're dealing with your brothers and sisters that have no other alternative than these horrible suicides. Yeah. It's an unfortunate thing that law enforcement has to deal with is that there is such a high rate of suicide. It's very, very tough. You had said a few minutes ago, Emily, you know, God bless law enforcement. We need humanitarians. But I also have to say, God bless the husbands and wives and the family of law enforcement that are there to support these individuals. Absolutely. And you know what? You can tell that you've done a good job when you have a kid that grows up and wants to follow in their footsteps. That's cool. Um, any closing thoughts or things that you wanted to say as we close up this episode about the spouses of law enforcement? To the spouses of law enforcement, it's okay that you'll only know the coworkers by their last name. And it's okay <laughs> that you will call your husband or wife by their last name. I do it too. And your spouse will tell your kids to rack in when it comes time for bed. Yeah, honey, I can't come pick you up from work or from school because dad and his cop cars are blocking my car. Yeah, <laughs> only a police kid will understand that. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close out this episode if it's okay with you, Emily. Yes. Thank you so much, Mark. 
Thank you so much. I'm going to end this podcast with the same thing that I tell everybody every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody. Good night.